Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's good to see each and every one of you in the spirit, to see the presence of God in the house, God's grace and truth as our portion. We're excited today to bring the word of God to you as the Lord has laid it upon our heart. We've been talking the last few weeks from the idea or the topic of our identity because our identity is foundational to unlocking your potential. When you don't know who you are, you're limited in revelation of what you can do or what you can accomplish. When you don't fully understand who you are, you don't fully understand what you have access to. I remember um, watching a superhero movie and the superhero was just coming to the knowledge of who he was, uh, of the abilities that he had. And because he didn't fully understand who he was, he did not know fully what he was capable of. And as he continued to develop in his understanding of who he was, he would consistently find new abilities, find new possibilities uh, for him to do. He began to understand not just his offensive weaponry, but his defensive uh, prowess and power. He began to fully understand what he was capable of. And the culmination of it uh, was that he was able to do in the end what he could not do in the beginning simply because he did not know who he was. And I believe that God is trying to get us to a place where we begin to understand who we are so that we can function now in the full power of who he is because we have begun to understand that we and he are one. So whatever Jesus is capable of, we are capable of not in the life to come, but in the life right now. You know, the foundational scripture for uh, this whole lesson is based upon the fact that the Bible declares that we are now in the earth what he is. So what Jesus is right now, triumphant, victorious, uh, elevated, seated at the right hand of God, enemies placed under his feet, not some, but all enemies placed under his feet, uh, exalted, glorified. We too are these things, not in the life to come, but in the here and the now. So over the past few weeks, we've been talking about our true identity. One of the very things that conquering nations will do is strip you of your identity. But we're, we're trying to release to you a greater understanding of who you are because it is valuable for us to see and understand who we are so that we can properly relate to God and understand what we are capable of. It's very important for us to understand also how God sees or identifies us. I've heard it said and taught in the body of Christ that we have to live a certain way to be acceptable in the sight of God. 
the statement and belief is true to a degree, but it misrepresents how we as believers get to the place where in these vile bodies we can even begin to live right. Now understand, I'm not saying that there is not a standard by which we in Christ should live or uh, should attain, which I believe that standard is holiness. But what I am saying is we have misrepresented this standard as the means by which we become identified with Christ and acceptable to God. That it is our effort at living right that identifies us with God. Now, some refer to this as our works makes us righteous rather than our faith in the works of Jesus Christ. And it's very important to understand that when you do not properly connect the dots, you will not end up with the proper identity. And when you don't have the proper identity, you become flawed in your ability to accomplish anything you set out to accomplish. I have uh, often heard people refer to believers as holier than thou or holy rollers and other acronyms that do not truly express what it is to be a believer. The church has presented this picture that it is full of perfect people and to uh, be part of this community of believers, you must come in in a state of perfection. This is why so many people longing to find the love of Jesus in the people of God only and too often find rejection. We reject them because of their appearance. We reject them because their lifestyle is different than our own. We reject them because of their language. We reject them because of their heritage. We reject them because they have attitudes. We simply reject them because in some disjointed, dysfunctional belief that we have attained, we think they are not worthy to be counted as the children of the Most High God because of these aforementioned things. The problem is, if you ask many in Christ, they will deny this statement as true. But when you examine the church, you will find that we are quick to set the standard of holiness for a Christian, but often do not live our own lives according to the very standard that we have set. The question then begs to be asked, what are we supposed to do then as believers? The answer lies in the life and identity of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and how our identity is not just wrapped up in his, but so intertwined that you cannot tell the one from the other. The church is an exclusive club. But we as the believer do not have the right to open or close enrollment in this exclusive club. You see, the inclusivity of enrollment is open to everyone that would believe. The enrollment fee itself has been paid and the power to become a member has been enacted by the indwelling gift of the Holy Ghost 
in each and every one of its members. The very glory of God is then implanted in the member. I know what some people think. I know what some people believe in the arguments that have been placed that we're giving people license to sin if we don't challenge them to live right. What you do not realize is people are sinning right now without license to do so, and they are doing it in the church. Yes, members of this exclusive club. And I say exclusive because only a believer, one who has accepted the death, burial, and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, can be a member. There is no other way to become a member of this club, which makes the club in and of itself exclusive to those who believe, but it is inclusive to everyone who would believe. You see, we have to learn to let people be people and stop trying to make them right by the opinion of our standard for living. We must allow the Spirit of God to complete His work within the life, the mind, the body, and the soul of each and every one who has joined this magnificent body. I cannot make you right. My standards cannot make you holy. My blood cannot wash away your sin. And neither can any other believer in the body of Christ. Only the blood of Jesus will wash away the stain of sin. Only the standard of the Holy Ghost in you can make you holy and right. Stop condemning people for their behavior and spend some time trying to just love them even as Jesus took time to love you. I've often seen those who have come into the body of Christ with um, issues or addictions or problems or proclivities of their flesh and they've struggled with them but over time have overcome the deeds of the flesh when they weren't beat over upside the head constantly about their issues. We all understand and the the, the, the teachers of the gospel who are true teach what is right according to the word of God. And because of our understanding of who we are, we begin to mimic in our life those things that are like who we are, not who we were. Old things pass away and behold, all things become new. They become new because of uh, daily revelation of our true identity. The idea, the concept that's pushed out is the moment that I say I accept Jesus, that somehow, some way, all of a sudden, all of the proclivities of my flesh are now no more. But this is not true. Because the flesh is always going to desire the things that are not like God. It's always going to desire the things that are not of God. But as my heart is changed, it changes what rules or motivates my behavior. And while for some of us it can be instantaneous, for many others it is a process that takes place over our time 
and learning and understanding of our true identity in Christ and who it is that is governing us. We have to stop condemning people for their behavior and spend time just loving them. Just like Jesus spent time and is still spending time loving us. I did not do what that one did. I did not live like that one did. I did, don't act like him or her. I don't speak that way. I don't have those kinds of attitudes and so on and so on. This is the lie of the flesh birthed from the pride of life that you are somehow better than someone else. I have news for you. You are not any more worthy of salvation than anyone else. You are not any more saved than anyone else who has come to the knowledge of Christ Jesus. I know for some this might be a shocker, but Jesus died for all of us, not just for some of us. He did this when we were in our sin condition and not after we were delivered from our sin condition. It is his very death, burial, and revelation that introduced deliverance. So it becomes logical to accept the fact that in our trespasses, Jesus found us and loved us enough to restore us to a state of holiness, not based upon works that we have done, but based upon him and his work at Calvary alone. And if then we were not perfect when he found us, but perfected in him, all those lacking knowledge of him have not the ability to become perfect without knowing him. So we as the body of believers have to stop expecting the church to be filled with saved people and go bring to the church those reeling with the sin experience so the perfection you have discovered in Christ can be rediscovered by them and they can experience the love that you have found in Jesus. So vitally important that we begin to share what is the Great Commission, to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to share the love that he shared with us. We need to share it with the world. We too often look upon the outward appearance of man, which is natural and temporal, rather than the inward spirit of man, which is eternal and born of God. We're talking about our identity. God looks at the heart, not the action. While man looks at the action and not the heart. This is both good works and evil works. God is concerned about the eternal things while too many of us are wasting time fooling around trying to make the temporal things right. This flesh is never going to be right. You can't make it right. All you can do is bring it under the subjection of the spirit of God that is in you. God does not care what you have done. And if God does not care what you've done, we, as the reflection of God, the image of God, the embodiment of God in the earth, should also not care. My focus should not be on your sin. My focus should be on God's love for you. God only cares who you are. He only cares about your identity. Because God understands that your identity will determine your existence, your behavior, your capabilities. 
God's looking for the acceptance of his son in your heart. The life you live now, you live through Christ so that the old things can pass away and all things yet become new. The life you now live, you live through Jesus. Your experience apart from God has been repaired. You're now no longer seen by God as a sinner, but one who has been freed from sin through Jesus. God sees his son in you. Now on the cross, God turned his eyes from his son because on the cross, his son took your sin. He bore your sin on the cross. He became your sin so that you could become his righteousness. So that God who could not look upon you because of your sin can now embrace you because of your righteousness. Turn with me in in the word of God to the book of Romans, the 8th chapter. I'm going to read for your hearing the 1st through the 11th verse. Romans 8, 1 through 11. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. We are big on condemning people for the things that they do. So focused on their sin. Doesn't matter what it is. I could go through a litany. The Bible gives us list after list after list of those things that are born of the flesh. And understanding that anything born of the flesh is sin in the sight of God. Anything that the flesh desires and craves is something that is born of the flesh and not born of God. And when you're satisfying the deeds of the flesh, you're not living according to the Spirit. You're living a life that is motivated by fleshly desires, thereby living outside the direction of God's Word. But we as believers are, a, uh, are encouraged by God in His Word to have no condemnation. No condemnation is developed from Greek words, out in katakrima, 
which means that you are not doomed or damned, but are freed from the penalty of sin. You're not judged anymore as a sinner, but you're delivered from the condemnation of death in hell. You're not judged to be unrighteous, but you're counted to be righteous through the work of Jesus at Calvary. It's important that we understand how the, 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 there is now therefore no condemnation works because it's integral to understanding your freedom from the power of sin, the proclivity of the flesh, that urge or that lust that you have in your flesh that drives you to the things that are not like God. But it's also important to understand that for those things to pass or to not have a dominating power in your life to push you into doing those things which are not convenient for you to do, we have to understand that the, the lack of condemnation or the lack of judgment against those things are only for those who walk not after the flesh, but walk after the spirit. In other words, there's the existence of these things, these uh, uh, things that we're susceptible to, yet I don't follow after them. I may desire them, but because I'm motivated by the Spirit of God, I don't seek their comfort. I don't seek to satisfy them at all. What I seek to do is to fulfill the life of Jesus that is in me. It's not that these things or these uh, uh, proclivities, for lack of a better word right now, uh, that, that they're going to disappear, that somehow they're no longer going to plague us, that I won't have this desire or this lush, lush, lust born after uh, my flesh that will constantly come back and make war with the, with the Spirit of God that is in me. The flesh is always going to try to seek to satisfy itself. But because I may feel a certain way or think a certain way or desire a certain thing in a certain manner, if it does not align itself with the way of God, then when I satisfy those deeds, I have moved myself out of no condemnation and I've placed myself to be judged because I'm living outside of the will of God. We have to understand the importance of our identity. Our identity wraps us in Christ. So then I am now no longer condemned or judged for these things because I'm in Christ. And because I'm in Christ, I'm motivated not to fulfill the lusts of my flesh. It's, it, it's wonderful to understand that you shall never be condemned for your sin. You shall never be separated from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. This occurs to those in Christ. So then the knowledge of being in Christ has to be introduced to those who are not in Christ. Hear what I'm saying to you today. What has to be introduced is not the knowledge of the sin life, but the knowledge of him who has freed us from the condemnation of the sin life. It's our purpose to expose the love of Jesus, not the stain of sin. We focus on exactly what Jesus did uh, not focus on. Unfortunately, we spend a lot of time identifying what Jesus did not identify. Jesus, when tried by the Pharisees and the Sadducees with the woman caught in the act of adultery, did not focus on uh, the sin that was in her life, but he chose to display the power 
of his love. After writing in the sand, he asked this woman, where are your accusers and those that have condemned you? And she replied, she did not see any of them. Jesus replies, then neither did he uh, condemn her, but he encouraged her, go and sin no more. So we see then that the focus is shifted from what the men saw as sin and the need to condemn that sin to what Jesus saw, and that was the need to love and not condemn. Jesus did not call us to condemn the world, but to bring the good news of the love of Jesus or the gospel of peace to the world, to teach them the love of God and this love itself when they come to the understanding of it, when they have accepted it, it will motivate them itself not to sin. There is a need to change your behavior. For those who walk not in the flesh, Jesus said to the woman, go and sin no more. Understand, I'm not preaching inclusion in the sense that we can do what we want and call it living for God. What I am teaching you as the children of God is we are to focus on the saving grace of God and express this grace to the people uh, of the world rather than condemning them for their lifestyle. Love covers all sin. We have to be focused on the very thing that as it is introduced in their life will be the power to deliver them from living a life of sin. Now you must understand this very critical or crucial point. Only those believers who are in Christ Jesus will not be condemned. If you want to escape condemnation, you can only escape it by being in or identified with Jesus. All non-believers will face condemnation for sin. All non-believers will face condemnation for sin. A genuine believer is a person who does not walk after the flesh, but after the spirit. When we're constantly looking for things that bring red flags up in our life that kind of tell you what to do, what not to do, which way to go, where not to go. Uh, these things uh, that are motivated by the flesh, if we're walking after them, seeking to desire them, that is a red flag that you're not living after Christ, but you're living after the flesh. You're walking after the flesh. The Bible, Jesus implores us to walk after the Spirit because it is in walking after the Spirit that overcomes the, uh, uh, the propensity to... to to fulfill the desires of your flesh. We too often misrepresent what the, the words in Christ mean. And I want to leave you with this today. I want to talk about this real briefly. I'm going to leave you with this. Some food for thought for the week. What does it mean for a person to be in Christ? Well, in the simplest terms, to be in Christ means that your faith in Christ places you in Christ. You're positioned there. You are placed in all that he is. Christ lived and died and arose. So to be in Christ means you have lived, you have died, and you arose in him. 
Christ is your representative. He's your agent. He's your ace kumba. He's your substitute. He's the mediator in your life. He is your death and your resurrection. When you believe in Jesus, you are identified with Jesus, counted and considered to be in or reckoned as or credited as Jesus. So when I say that I am in Christ, it is not the embodiment of me, my flesh, my former self, Jesse, in Christ. It is the eradication of who I was to become who he is. I am now the embodiment of not my former self, but my true identity, which is Jesus in me, me in him. So the life I now live, I live by the power of Jesus Christ. I thereby become the glory of God. What is the glory of God? It is the greatness of God that is placed on the inside of me to allow me to reflect all that God is everywhere that I go. When you believe in Jesus, God places or positions you in Christ. Your faith actually causes God to now see you or identify you with Christ. As having lived in Christ, when Christ lived upon the earth. Therefore, you can now, because you are in Christ, understand your identity. Because you are in Christ, you lived upon the earth as him. You are now counted sinless and righteous because Christ was sinless and righteous. I can therefore proclaim that I'm not a sinner in need of a savior, but I am the redeemed of the Lord. I'm no longer a sinner I don't come to Christ. I don't come to God, my Father, as a sinner in need. I come as one who has no sin. I've been delivered from sin when I go before my Father. When I stand before God in the throne room of heaven, I stand there not as one seeking forgiveness or deliverance, but as one who has been. The operation of my access into the very presence of God is predicated on my understanding who I am. I don't come as one asking or begging for relief or for mercy, but I come as one who has already attained these things because I am his son. I'm counted that way. Not only as living in him, sinless and righteous, but as dying in him. You never have to die. John 3 and 16. The penalty and the condemnation of sin has already been paid by the death of Jesus. And I'm also raised in him. Therefore, I've received a new life. Just as Christ had a new life after his resurrection, then you too receive a new life. So to be in Christ means that your life exemplifies Christ day by day. A true believer lives and moves and has his being in Christ. He is in union with Christ. There is unity 
in the, the, the uh, existence of the life of Christ and the life of you place your name here. To live in the walk in Christ means then that we do not walk after the flesh, but only after the spirit. It means that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. It means that we bear the fruit of the spirit. It means that we uh, abide in Christ, that we become as connected and attached to Christ as the members of the body are connected and attached to each other, as the branch is connected and attached to the vine. It's important, people of God, that you begin to understand that the life that I live after the knowledge of Christ is motivated and empowered by the very fact that I have identified myself with the holiness that is Christ. So then I search out the scripture and I find what is holy and what is not holy. And because I want to exemplify life because of the love that he has shared with me, my life then begins to reflect in behavior and in deed or in works what testifies of my faith. It's not my works that qualifies my faith. It's my work that testifies of my faith. My works become the commercial for what I believe. All of us are dealing with something in our life that, that would testify of something other than our stated faith in Christ Jesus. But my works, though they do not qualify me, they are my testimony of what I truly believe in my heart. So then when I look at my works and I find that my works are testifying of something that is not like what I say I believe in, I come to a fork in the road where I must decide whether I truly believe in what I said I believe or my desire is only to satisfy my flesh. Because these, these things that I do, that I think, that I believe are simply not like God. doesn't matter what they are. I could give you a laundry list, but it doesn't matter. I'm not focused on what sin is. I'm focused on the power that delivers me from sin, and that is the love of God that's manifest in my life. It is the love of God that is manifest in my life that while I was a sinner, he found me. He loved me. He placed his spirit in me. So now the life that I'm living now, I'm so grateful, I'm so in love with God that the life that I'm living now begins to represent or testify of my real, true acceptance of who he is. This doesn't deny that my flesh has desires of its own, desires that are not like God, but I choose not to satisfy those de desires no matter what the, the earthly cost may be. Some of us are struggling with some very serious things in our life. I don't deny the existence of the struggle, but the power to choose which master you will serve solely lies with you. No choice greater than the other. 
I could seek and choose to satisfy the desire of my flesh for some temporary pleasure, for some uh, temporal uh, experience, and lose my eternity. Because I'm walking not in the spirit, but I'm walking in the flesh. And when I walk in the flesh, the Bible is clear, I'm outside of the exclusiveness of the body of Christ. To be in the body of Christ means I reflect those things of Christ. I am not habitual in the things that are not like Christ. And if, if whatever it is that I may be dealing with in my life, if whatever that, that thing is, that draw, that, that, that thing that's trying to pull me out of the body, It can't pull me unless I choose to go. The mere presence of the temptation of sin is not what keeps you out of the body. It is the habitual giving over to this thing that testifies you are not what you say you are. I'm covered by the grace of God because I walk after the things of the spirit, not the things of the flesh. While the grace of God is present in our human condition in this uh, dispensation of grace, all those that are walking after the flesh have this opportunity to be free from that power and to be delivered into the grace of our Lord and to live eternally with him but that is a choice that must be made. My works do not qualify my salvation, but they do testify of what I say I believe. Know who you are. In knowing who you are, you'll begin to understand the power that is associated with your identity in Jesus Christ. God bless you, heaven smile upon you, and grant to you great peace. We love you, but God loves you best. Have an awesome Sunday, a blessed week. Remember to pray for this nation, even this week that is coming up, the inauguration week of our new president, and all the turmoil that is in the world. The only thing that can save us is Jesus. Be praying for all those that are sent and all those that go, that they might find peace, that this would be a peaceful event. I've often said chaos can only thrive where authority has not been determined. Real authority is in Christ Jesus. So I encourage you by the power of God that is invested in you to speak into the atmosphere peace in our nation. Deliverance from all those things that have been erected 
to disunify and to tear down. God bless this nation. God bless you.